0: You know, Lauren, this show is all about uh, the interesting characters who make life in Napa Valley interesting. Actually, it is. It is, indeed. So I thought, you know which interesting character we should have in is somebody who writes about Napa life. And it is Mr. Napa life himself, Paul Franson, welcome. Oh, hello there. (laughs) Hello there. It is great to have you in. We are going to have what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic uh, discussion. And um, I want to hear more about your background. I've I've known you for quite some time, and you are one of these guys who's all around town. But uh, how many folks really know the real Paul Franson? I hope they never learn. Really? No, actually, I wanted a number. How many folks? Oh, how many? No, it's okay. Okay, well, we're going to get to the show in just a moment. In the meantime... We invite you to join Judd at his
1: family's winery at the south end of Silverado Trail. Judd's Hill Winery, located at 2332 Silverado Trail, here in Napa Valley, California, USA. Visiting information is at JudsHill.com or by calling 707-255-2332.
0: That's right. Thank you, Lauren. We love to welcome folks. Whether you are a Napa local, one of our Napa neighbors, a visitor from out of town, we guarantee a great time. It's it's what we do. Good times with fine wines among the vines. And that's enough of my rhymes and these types of lines. So... We'll move on to this show. While you're online, uh, you can check out some of our uh, quirky videos. You can see the events we've got going on. You can even put a little wine in your shopping cart. We always have something interesting to drink. And what do you think, Lauren? Should we give him a little special?
1: Just for being an avid listener, type in coupon code JNVS, all in lowercase letters, please, no capitals, and you can get 15% off your entire wine order. And if that's not enough, you can join the Juds Hill Wine Club anytime, day or night.
0: That's it. Thanks so much. We 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 think it's the best wine club around. Totally unbiased opinion, but you do get a chance to try all the wines. You get to uh, have invitations to events and all kinds of things happening. So check that out. We look forward to welcoming you into the extended Judd's Hill family through the club and through your visit. While you're online, you should check out what's going on in Napa Valley by visiting napalife.com. There you can... Uh, see our guest you can play along at home and uh what do you say lauren and now
1: enjoy the show judd's napa valley show every episode a veritable cornucopia of finkel fun get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on judd's napa valley show No stale script and no rehearsing. Live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa. Judd's Napa Valley. Judd's Napa Valley Show. When all else fails, take a vacation. And now, (laughs) live from the 1440 KVON studios at Broadcast Park in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mull, and here's your host, Chad
0: Fingelstein. Sorry, I, I was just taking your advice. I took a vacation. Oh. <laughs> I like that, man. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing fine, Judd. Top of the day. Oh, top of the day. What's going on in the world of Mr. Lauren Mole? Well,
1: I had such a fun time with uh, with my mom and my dad and a couple of my dad's friends from from uh, Richmond last week, or, or actually this last Sunday, we went to the California
0: State Fair in Sacramento. My, You know, I'm thinking about this. I... I am a California native, and I have never gone. Tell me a a couple of highlights. Oh, it is
1: is so much fun. It's like your typical state fair, you know, with the rides and uh, with the the animals and all the exhibits.
0: Shows, concerts. Absolutely. Such a...
1: Food on sticks. Yep. Some fascinating times. And get this. Mm. Cinnamon rolls
0: with cream cheese frosting. Well, hey, I'm there. What are we doing here? Come on, everyone. Let's hit the road. Sure. It was a good time was had. All right. It, 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 that goes on for a, a little while long. Do I still have a chance? Uh, it goes on until next Sunday. Oof. Okay. Well, I'll do what I can. Thank you for the tip. i look forward to getting out there one of these days. Sure. Sounds fun. Everything else good? Everything else is good. So, uh, great. so what's going on with you, Jeff? You know, busy, busy. Uh, the, tis the season. And over at the winery, things are happening. You know, it's, uh, it's we're in summertime, so we have lots of folks visiting, which is great. The wine is delicious. People are having fun. And uh, I would like to extend some invitations, if I may, to our dear listeners. One is, uh, it's not happening at the winery, but this upcoming Friday is the annual Community Favorite event, I think this might be year, i trying to add this up, this might be year eight. I'll figure it out, but but nonetheless, it's a great night. It's Yookapalooza, or if you want to say it, Ookapalooza, depending on your pronunciation. It's coming up this Friday at Oxbow Public Market, 6 p.m. It's free to attend and fun for the whole family. All ages are welcome. It is an evening of ukulele and ukulele music Uh, so please bring one if you have one you can strum along or even get up and have the spotlight for a song or two my own band the maikai gents and we do our old-time hawaiian music will you know kind of anchor the evening as far as we'll welcome everybody we'll play a few songs and we'll ask if anybody wants to get up and strum then we'll play a few more songs ask if somebody else wants to get up it goes on like that Really a good time, a great vibe. The spirit of Aloha is there. Wear some um, uh, Hawaiian shirts, and Lauren, you're already dressed. Look at this—you've got a hula dancer on there, and some uh, and some Hawaiian uh, words. Actually, name uh, place place names. That's pretty cool. Good shirt. You're ready to come out Friday. And what else is happening? It's uh, free to attend. It benefits the Voices Youth Center here in Napa. They'll be having a raffle with some great prizes. One of the prizes I know is being offered up by our friends at Kala Ukulele Company here in Petaluma, so you'll get to win an instrument or two. The Oxbow Merchants will have one night only island style specials. You'll get some new nibbles to try. There will be some Judd's Hill Wines by the Glass from Oxbow Wine Merchants, I know that, at a very good price. And our friend Retro Diva. One of the Bay Area's premier dealers of vintage aloha wear will be there uh, selling stuff. So if you don't have anything to wear, you can get something there. Okay, that's this Friday, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Also coming up at Judd's Hill is our annual harvest party on Sunday, August 12th. Details are at JudsHill.com. Just check uh, the events tab for all the fun things coming up. Napa Valley Kindness Day, Lauren. I love this be the second annual one it's going to be saturday august 18th the kindness kids will be leading this once again and we're going to have them on the radio i think next week so we'll get to hear a little bit more about that but folks save the date come on out to Yauntville. we'll be gathering in front of the Yauntville community center different location than last year so take note in front of the Yauntville community center at nine thirty a.m bring signs with messages of kindness and we'll walk through town with those Uh, Please no signs with political messages, religious messages, advertising, just kindness. It could just say be kind even or kindness is cool. Whatever you want. Of course, all ages are welcome. We'll walk through Yonville up to Napa Valley Museum where there will be uh, live music, treats, sweet sweet treats, that is. What else do we have? Speakers, uh, art projects, everything focused on kindness. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then um, our cruise next year again judshill.com check the events tab for our fun and fabulous French cruise we're heading to Paris to Normandy and uh, it's going to be great we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Juds Hill and the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings will be honored along that trip as well That's what I've got going on. And you know what? I'm going to say this up front. I just want to acknowledge somebody who we lost this past week that had some influence on me, and that was food writer Jonathan Gold passed away. He mainly based out of Los Angeles, a little stint in New York as well, but mainly out of Los Angeles. And when I moved to Los Angeles after college, I got my hands on his book, Counterintelligence. And he was the first guy I really read that... uh, and, our, and our, by the way, our guest in studio today also writes about food and lifestyle, so maybe he'll have some two cents about this. But Jonathan Gold was the first guy that I came across that really wrote about some of the hole-in-the-wall places. He made going out to eat an adventure. Uh, I would I would follow his advice, and sometimes I would find myself in the strangest neighborhoods of Los Angeles, and I loved it. I would feel like I had traveled somewhere. For instance, I remember a couple different outings, both to Koreatown, uh, once he gave the address and the name of this place, and uh, it sounded great. It had some kind of specialty, which I don't recall at the moment, and I showed up at the address with a friend, and um, it was in a strip mall, which is expected, except every place shared the same address and every place <laughs> had had Korean signage. So I couldn't even read <laughs> the name of the place. So I didn't know which door to go in. So we just took a chance and we went into one. And it actually turned out not to be the place he was writing about. But we still tried food we had never had before. And it was wonderful. Um, and I, I felt enriched by that. And another outing, I remember we did end up at the correct spot and it was a Korean restaurant in Koreatown. Um, but again, no English. Not even on the menu. None of the servers spoke English. Um, it was a cool place. It looked like a log cabin. You could, open kitchen, and it looked like these grandmas were back there cooking this dinner. So very home cooked, delicious stuff. But Jonathan had recommended certain dishes in his uh, column, and um, we were not able to communicate what exactly we wanted. We ended up drawing pictures and hoped for the best. And uh, again, it was wonderful. And I, I came home that night feeling as if I had traveled the world, but was still able to uh, go home and sleep in my own bed at night. So I thank him for bringing these places into the spotlight and allowing me and countless others to uh, explore world cuisine, taking a little fear out of trying these what we might think of as strange, bizarre restaurants, cuisines, dishes, and uh, it formed some of my early uh, culinary habits as as a young adult. So I thank Mr. Jonathan Gold for that. Now, we have a very interesting guest today. This guy knows what's happening. Would you like to introduce him, Lauren? Sure, Judd. I have
1: the paper right here in my hand. Great. For a good time, some folks want to get their travel plans in you can have fun right here in Napa and Kansin just follow our guest's newsletter about things to do food wine and who's better we're talking Napa life with the man
0: himself Paul Franzen Paul Franson, how are you
1: I'm great thank you I was
2: just thinking of that Korean food while you were talking about it <laughs> you know
0: I think as now that you mentioned I think we might have had Korean food together once when the Silverado Resort This is many years ago. They were doing, once a week, a different cuisine. And I think you and I, and maybe my dad and uncle, went over, and uh, it was Korean night, I think.
2: Well, it's weird because that's one ethnic restaurant we do not have in Napa Valley. Yeah. And it's all over the country. Korean food is the hottest there is. Yeah. I mean, literally and figuratively. (laughs) That's true. But also, it's much more compatible with Napa Valley Cabernets than most Asian food. You think... Is it the I spicing? Mean, the, the well, problem was all beef for one thing. I mean, okay, they, they sure. eat a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of it. But we, for a while, there was a Japanese restaurant downtown that had some Korean food. That's true. The owners, are, who are a Korean family, also have the Japanese restaurant on Jefferson. Uh, but yeah, ha- uh, Haku. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they told me Americans don't like Korean food.
0: I don't know how to speak in the broad sense, but this American certainly does. Yeah, I even make kimchi
2: sometimes. <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. I just got some Napa cabbage, and I i didn't get to it last night because I had some people over. But <laughs> it takes a few days, and it's much better in, than what you get in those little jars that cost, you know, $6 for mm. something like that. So, anyway.
0: Napa cabbage is part of your Napa life.
2: And it, oddly enough, it has nothing to do with Napa, but it,
0: <laughs> some people call it Chinese cabbage. No, I understand, but... Um, uh, Paul Franson, you are the man behind Napa Life, which is a website, a newsletter that talks about all the things that go on in Napa Valley. That's probably how many people know you. You are ubiquitous. Um, I'm not sure I know what that word means, but I think that's what you are, is ubiquitous around Napa Valley. Anytime I go out anywhere to some event or opening, and I'm i am getting out less and less for whatever reason. I don't know if it's age or I'm just spending more time with family. But anytime I do get out, Paul Franson is right there. You're covering the scene. So... Anybody who is involved in Napa Valley events likes to get out. Visitors to Napa Valley they know they know you at least through your writing.
2: Well, I I try to get out there and I like to talk to people. I've been here 22 years now, and uh, it's amazing how much has happened in this valley. But Napa Life, as in the form it is now, started about 15 years ago. Yeah, and then it was four pages. A week That's all I could find to write about in food, entertainment, um, yeah. anything. Now it's typically 22, 23. This week it was 23
0: pages. 23 pages.
2: And uh, part of it's news, but a lot of it is events. And it's nowhere near all the events. I mean, if you go to the register, you can see lots of, of events at clubs and churches and stuff like that but i try to pick out the entertainment ones that would be of wide interest right, but right. my focus originally was on food and of course wine wine is sort of important here in the valley so.
0: i hear it talked about once in a while yeah once in a while let's let's go back let's let's go back to well your background where you're I know you have lived in New Orleans. Is that where you're from?
2: Well, no, my father was in the Army, so we okay. lived all over. I was actually born in Tampa, Florida, okay. on an Army Air Corps base. It was oh, no, yeah. air, no Air Force then, uh, just oh. before World War II. And during World War II, uh, we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, which is where mm. my grandmother was. My father, of course, was off to war in the Pacific, and my oh, really? grandfather was uh, one of Patton's chiefs of staff, and he wow. was in Europe. And, uh Gotta say it backwards. My father was in the Pacific anyway, and then so they
0: they, they were split. One went yeah. off to uh, the Pacific, one off to Europe.
2: Then we went away, and then we, during the Korean War, my father was in Korea again. Oh. So we went back to Montgomery, and so I have some other friends here in town who are from Montgomery. We're all very happy to be from Montgomery, <laughs> although things have gotten much better since then. But uh, after that, we lived in the Northeast in Massachusetts. We lived in Virginia. We lived in. El Paso, Texas. Oh my! And in New Orleans, uh, which was certainly the most interesting of all those places, I was about eleven then, and I went to a school that was had been a all boys. Uh, well, actually, mine had been an all girls school, <laughs> and my sister went to the one that had been the all boys school because they segregated boys and girls in the public schools then, oh. just like they did in the Catholic schools, and basically it was like going to a, a Jesuit school. The, the, Teachers may have been secular, but they had a Jesuit attitude about behavior and Ooh. and learning and everything. But it was fascinating. Our school dances, this was in the eighth and ninth grade, started at nine thirty at night
0: in New Orleans. In New
2: Orleans, and we and people That's there, you know, we, pretty late. I, yeah, well, it's hot and muggy, so people oh, do yeah. things late. And we used to go down to the French Quarter on this streetcar. You know, eleven years old, my parents weren't worried about us getting mugged or anything. It was no. that, we went down there during the day, not at nighttime. And I uh, went to Mardi Gras uh, uh, parades by ourselves and stuff like that.
0: Oh, wow. What a what a childhood to have. Um, I love New Orleans, just anecdotally. We are just down there for our for this year's wine, Judd's Hill Wine Cruise was New Orleans to Memphis. So we got a, a good taste of it. I try to get down there as often as possible. So you, you, there was Massachusetts you kind of threw in there, but it sounds like most of your uh, upbringing was considered in the South.
2: Well, actually, it was... Uh, Sort of half. it. Well, I don't know how you consider El Paso, for example. And we also did live in Leavenworth, Kansas for a little. Oh, okay. But I went to high school in Arlington, Virginia, which then was sort of southern, but now it's firmly part of the north. Mm, Uh, mm. And then I went to college in North Carolina, which is certainly southern. But after that, I zipped back and forth. Oh, and lived in New Hampshire, lived in Massachusetts. Oh, Boy, you have been all over. And then in Georgia and in... Arizona, Southern
0: California, and
2: this is where I'm staying. I'm not leaving. <laughs> You're anchored here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, did this, did this, not nomad lifestyle, but moving around, you weren't a nomad, but uh, did that influence your love of travel that you have now, or did you think, okay, that's enough, I need to stay one place? I don't know, have you always been a travel buff? Because you write about travel, yeah, now, no. and you do travel quite well, a bit. Well, it's
2: funny, I, I did not travel. In fact, uh, I, I've been married twice, the first marriage— we didn't go places because I traveled on business, and to me, it was just work. Oh, okay. And my wife wanted to travel, and after we split up, in fact, she became a travel writer. Oh, she did. <laughs> and she traveled a lot, and I've traveled a lot more since then. Um, so it, I guess it may have awakened that in me somehow. Mm,
0: okay. Uh, but, and was your path – I'm curious how you got in the path of writing and public relations.
2: It was a very peculiar one. I went to college – I went to college when I was fairly young. Mm -hmm. And I had had taken advanced math in high school, a very good high school. And so I started in math as a sophomore, although I was a freshman. And because of that, I was able to finish in three years. Oh, And by going in the summer. So I majored in math simply because that was, I was good at it and I could do it. Uh, So I have a degree in math and I did graduate work in math. But I quit, and I taught junior high school math for two years in Southwest Florida. But after that I, Went to work for a ham radio magazine. I had a ham license as a bookkeeper, not knowing anything about bookkeeping, but the boss didn't realize that calculus and uh, analytic geometry and everything had nothing to do with bookkeeping. And I, his wife left him, and she was doing all the work, so I became the editor of this magazine when I was 23. So that's where my writing started, and then I bounced back and forth between actually writing for magazines... And being in public relations, which is somewhat related because there's a lot of writing for corporations and then my own agency.
0: Right, right. Wow. Well it's it's served you well. And so you have a long a long history with writing, a long history with radio. Yeah. And I I, I think if this is correct, you you did uh, some radio work in a swamp in Florida?
2: Yeah. One of the weird things, First, I got a commercial radio license, which in those days was a fairly big deal. You had to take this real long exam, and it was full of math, which is a, easy for me. And in those days, to have a radio station like this on the air, you actually had to have an engineer on duty at times, like if you were directional, which means that a lot of radio stations only go in certain directions. Right, you the actually had a guy with this. Yeah. And because there were very few people in southwest Florida and Fort Myers with that, I was hired one night a week as a fill-in. And that's how I got into it. But the, the fact that I had this engineering background was absolutely irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, it had nothing to do with anything except meeting the regulations.
0: Okay. Did Look, you get on air? Or were you just oh, yeah, engineer? Oh, yeah, I was on the air. Um, oh,
2: okay. They didn't let me on the air until... 10 o'clock, this was a hinky-dink little town, and there were two radio stations, and the owner of the station liked jazz, so he had a jazz program, so he could listen to it from 10 to midnight. Basically, he figured nobody else would listen, but he it was his radio station. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was fun for me to do that. Uh, the worst part of the job, actually, was at midnight, after we went off the air, I had to go out on this little catwalk about two or 300 feet into the swamp, literally, I mean, with the to go to the base of the antenna, and read a little meter with a flashlight to tell you what, so we would know how much power we were putting out. Mm-hmm. And the you, if you go out into a swamp that's up to say your at least your waist, there's things out there.
0: You were in your up to your waist. Well, I was no, I was go. walking
2: on this catwalk, but there were reeds and okay. plants, and there were definitely snakes and probably alligators in there because this was Southwest Florida. Oh my goodness! And I always got very nervous, and I'd I'd call my wife after it, to tell her that I was okay before I drove home. Oh my god
0: what an experience. I, I definitely want to move up to how you got to Napa, but before we do that, I understand that you also hold a place of distinction in the genre of internet pornography. Uh, Can what... you please tell us about this, Mr. Paul Franson?
2: Before I moved here, <laughs> my writing was primarily about uh, the business of the of a high-tech, we called it. Okay. And it included this new thing called the Internet. And so I was assigned by a prominent magazine uh, called Upstart that was designed for entrepreneurs and all to write an article about what impact pornography was having on the Internet and vice versa. And oddly enough, nobody had done that before. And I discovered a number of things, as you can imagine – um, I talked to a lot of... Very, <laughs> I
0: can only imagine. I probably can't imagine what you discovered. Well, I talked to a lot
2: of very interesting people. A lot of the... I didn't actually meet any of these women in person, by the way. I will say that. Although I did use it as an excuse to look at some porn. Oh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> You heard it here. This is a <laughs> Judd's Napa Valley Show exclusive. <laughs> Thank you. But um, <laughs> it was interesting because a number of the women who were doing the porn then were lesbians who did it strictly as a business. And some of them did very well and became wealthy. And the other thing was that this was the first – the only thing people would pay for in those days of the internet.
0: Now, now before, before you tell me what they would pay for, I'm just I, – I feel like now is the time for the disclaimer. We're not going to use any graphic uh, terminology, <laughs> <No>. but uh, <laughs> parents, anybody, you, you know, this might be a good time to – uh, have a talk with your kids. <laughs> uh, okay, Paul, continue. <laughs> what did people pay for on the internet back well, then? Well, they
2: just paid for visions. Oh, to In those days, They were just yeah. pictures. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me, the most interesting thing was high-tech companies like Hewlett-Packard and Silicon Graphics, which is no longer around, mm. and IBM even, were selling very high-powered computers because the video was just starting. The porn sites were the only ones that could afford to have it and so companies like hp were selling very sophisticated computers and lots of them to pornographers and they would not admit it
0: well i well since then i mean it has become kind of general knowledge that that industry of which you're speaking kind of drives technology you know <laughs> right. what whatever they adopt is what the rest of us are going to be using whether it's you know you know hd dvd or blu-ray or oh, vhs over beta it's they're the, kind of the trendsetters in that, but it's sort of
2: ironic because now there's a huge amount of free pornographic uh, content on, online. And, uh, okay, and you, Paul. <laughs> and instead, you have to get paid for recipes from the New York Times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny. I, you know, I've never thought of it in those in those terms. Okay, well, let's jump forward, shall yes, we? I guess that, that's a good idea. Actually, that is. I've, that's fun to know about you. I didn't know that part of your history. The first of... Uh... Anyhow, how did you get to Napa? You said it's been 22 years?
2: 22, 1996.
0: Okay, how did that happen?
2: Well, I was a home winemaker for about 30
0: years. Uh, first... Oh, but I got to hold you because the hotline's ringing. Okay. I did, uh, let me just see what's going on. Hold on one second, Paul. Let's see. Caller, are you there?
1: Hello, Judd. Good morning. It's your mother. Oh,
0: hi, Mom. How are you?
1: <laughs> I'm fine. I just wanted you that every time I listen to your show, I
0: learn something new. Well, that's great. Thank you for letting me know that. Um, yeah,
1: this this information about the pornography industry <laughs> and the internet, <laughs> wow, it really opened my eyes.
0: Okay, well, Mom, I'm glad you learned something new about pornography today. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. You can
2: Mom, my, my best bun. oh, bunny.
0: She, she can hear you. He's not wearing <laughs> headphones, but Paul is uh, saying hi. She's i'm sure thanks, it's, paul. thanks paul so yes i'm glad that you tune in i'm glad you can listen to your son's show and learn about internet pornography oh, thank yeah. you mom
1: i can hardly wait for next week so hi paul hi lauren bye judge see you all talk
0: to y'all later okay thanks mom <laughs> bye okay thank you paul uh you've uh, educated my mother a little <laughs> bit and who knows what she's doing at the computer right now?
2: I'm sure that my <laughs> 15-year-old grandson could tell her a lot more than I can.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so uh, 22 years ago, you were a home winemaker.
2: Uh, yeah, I started okay. in uh, when we moved to Texas. Did I mention Dallas? We lived in Dallas. Okay. And there were grape gri- grapevines growing in the backyard. So I made wine out of the Concord Grape and Thompson Seedless, and it was probably the worst wine ever made. But <laughs> it got us interested. Then we moved to Southern California, where I had access to decent grapes and then moved to Las Gatos, where even better. Mm. And while I was in Los Angeles, some friends ran a home winemaking shop, and they moved up here. And one of them became the winemaker for Francis Ford Coppola, his first Rubicon. And the other, his, his wife worked for uh, Maya Kamas. And anyway, we used to visit them, my ex-wife and I, and um, make wine and have a great time. Yeah. Some of the happiest days I can remember were those days in Napa Valley, Drinking, making wine, and and having a good time. So when la- many years later, I remember those happy times, and when I decided to to move out of New, or- uh, to, uh, New Orleans, San Francisco, where I was living right then, I mm-hmm. I came up here and ended up living here.
0: And that was then. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about life in Napa Valley. In fact, NapaLife.com, your website, your newsletter, uh, getting involved in some wine PR, travel writing, freelance writing. On and on and on, uh, but we do have to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after
1: these messages. La, 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 la. Everyone's a Finkle friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa Valley at 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live around the world at KVON.com back to Judd's Napa Valley show.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Lauren mole. Um, we are sitting here, we are talking with Paul Franson, Mr. Napa life. Uh, he's the guy that knows what's going on and wants you to know what's going on in Napa Valley. His website is, uh, NapaLife.com. And, uh, we have a quote from Mr. Paul Franson um, about yours truly, me, who he once said in a, uh, in a blurb, Judd Finkelstein, dot, 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 torturing the valley with ukulele music. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At least you don't play a bagpipe.
0: <laughs> so I read that and I said, I'm using that. And it's up on the page for my web series, oh, no. WineBooty.com. So folks, uh, you can see our pirate-themed wine chat show called Wine Booty at Winebooty.com. Please, please, please uh, do not type Wine Booty into the YouTube search bar because you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> and maybe you do. It might even go back to what we were talking about before the break with Paul. But uh, Winebooty.com, and there is a portion on that site that has some quotes about uh The fun of the show. And there you go. Anyhow, uh, let's talk about life in Napa and Napa Life with Paul Franson. You have been here 22 years. Uh, Yeah. The first few, it sounds like first seven years, I don't know what you were doing, but we can get into it. And for 15 years, you've been writing Napa Life. Right. So why don't you take us through a little bit what life has been like for you?
2: When I first came to town, it was in January when I was looking to move up here. I visited downtown Napa and the few... Businesses were open, had sandbags in front of them. Ooh. So I bought a place just south of St. Helena, right south of the uh, Visatui Winery. Mm-hmm. I lived there for a few years before I actually came down to Napa. But, um, were I, you writing? Is that what you were doing? I, I was writing. In those days, I was actually still writing for business magazines that paid a lot of money, like mm. $5,000, unlike a newspaper that pays 50 or 75 Oh. And the first articles I wrote up here were actually bicycle trips. Oh. I mean, for a tourist, you know, 20-mile bike trip. Yeah, yeah. One out of North, from Calistoga North, one hmm. South, and so forth. And I did that because the editor of Inside Napa Valley, um, Gail Chablis, asked me if I could do that. And I said, yes, of course, <laughs> not having never done it before. And then that sort of graduated. The the register had me write about Up, up Valley. I wrote a column called What's Up Valley uh, for a while. And then when I moved to Napa, it ex- sort of expanded. And I was actually doing something like a short version of Napa life. For the Napa Valley Register for quite a while, and they fired me, so I went and created a, the newsletter, and it's worked out pretty well. The first one, as I mentioned, was four pages. Now yeah. it's about twenty,
0: and folks can find it. You're still writing; it. you're updated every week. It's Napa oh, yeah. Life. I have not com. missed
2: one single week—not one week—and people even when, when su- I've been traveling, I I've getting them, gotten them. gotten done.
0: You updated <laughs> it remotely, even this is a—it's uh, a subscription. Folks, can it is. It's a.
2: It's fifty dollars a year, a dollar a week, fourteen cents a day. If okay. you don't want to think of that <laughs> way, sure. which these days is about you know fifty dollars, about what you it costs for a glass of wine at some of the restaurants. <laughs> in Locke, Locke. I,
0: you're not kidding. I've, I've been to some of those restaurants.
2: <laughs> um. It is, uh, and then there are other rates. A lot of. Hotels and wineries pay a group rate, and the county does, and the city, and, you know, stuff like that.
0: Okay, well, that's uh, that's all at NapaLife.com. And you've written, I mean, you continue to write that, but you also write for many other, you know, kind of freelance articles. And right. and you've written for Food and Wine, for Wines and Vines, for Napa Sonoma Magazine. And um, recently, uh, one, one of my new favorite subjects, you wrote for... Napa Valley life about uh, our new baseball team, the Silverados, which I'm a big fan. I love getting out there. Yeah, that's it's
2: funny. It's great. Uh I've also written for Napa Valley Life, and it it drives Carrie, who owns it, nuts that I have Napa Life, and she's Napa Valley Life. (laughs) And a lot of people do get confused about that. We have nothing to do with each other, except that I do write for them sometimes. In fact, I just wrote an article about the 25th anniversary of Abisto Don Giovanni. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize until I went over to talk to Giovanni that it had been 25 years. And then I'm doing some stuff for Napa Sonoma right now. But actually, a year ago, I decided I'd... I was going to stop and so i stopped writing for the wine business magazines wines Mm. and vines and wine business monthly they were actually very good they pay well they pay expenses they pay on time and they're good people to work with but i just they said you know i didn't really need to do that and i stopped writing for the register then and then things sort of crept back in
0: so what and did you stop that because you just wanted to focus on something that was just more enjoyable to you, or what, what was the impetus?
2: Well, part of it was I'd been doing it a long time. Partly I was getting old, you know, and I didn't see any real—I didn't really need the money. It's not that I'm rich or anything, but I really didn't need to do this. And a certain number of those articles were things like going out and interviewing people who manufacture pumps for wineries. Oh, I see. And it's not the most exciting I see. I thing so in the world.
0: You wanted something that— uh really floated your boat, so the, metaphorically, the, although you did live on a boat for a while. Yes,
2: which... I lived, I've, I've had a number of boats, starting with a little 15-footer when I was young, first uh, working. But I lived on a 41-foot boat in the Caribbean, and the island they call Antigua. We yeah. call it Antigua for a few years. And uh, it was a very fascinating time, but I had problems like the boat blew up. <laughs>
0: I mean, the engine blew up. <laughs> that, that sounds and like the a boat problem, sank. yeah. And when I sold it, so- sank. it sank. Yeah, in, that's a problem. A yeah. And then oh my gosh. when
2: I finally sold it, it was up in the slings they use for a survey to s- check it out, and they dropped it. And they, when you drop a 41 foot fiberglass boat, it's like dropping a wine glass. And so it smashed, oh. broke the mast, and the, insur- the boatyard where it was done was in bankruptcy. Oh, my goodness. But fortunately, my insurance company did pay me uh, for it.
0: Was that the last time you lived on a boat?
2: That was the last time I'm ever going to own a boat. Or, <laughs> okay. although I, I, did, I can imagine. I did charter a boat for a week. Okay, well, that, that's right.
0: very I mean, different. That's yeah. very different. Okay, sorry to even bring it up. Then. Yeah. <laughs> my apologies.
2: Actually, it's, it was a disaster then, but looking back, it was a lot of good stories.
0: We'll have to have uh, another segment about life in the Caribbean, which brings up the question, is it Caribbean or Caribbean?
2: The people down there call it
0: Caribbean. Okay, thank you. But most people here call it Caribbean. I don't know why. Okay, back to writing and life in Napa Valley. You're you're also behind a a very well-known book, at least amongst the wine industry, called Spinning the Bottle, which you co-wrote with um, PR guru, the late, great Harvey Poser.
2: Right, yes. It it was Harvey's idea to write it. I never actually, well, almost never did wine PR. Mm -hmm. I did PR for companies in high tech, including... Hewlett Packard and others. Um, I did a little bit of wine PR for Shalom Wine Group because one of the investors in Shalom was also an investor in a lot of my companies. And it was great fun, but they complained about the bills. <laughs> and, but anyway, for, skip forward. So Harvey wanted to do this book, and we actually solicited, mostly he solicited uh, chapters, anecdotes from various people in the PR business. And we put it together and self-published it, and, and then it caused
0: a huge. I mean, it well, co- there, it, was,
2: there was no other book about no, people wine PR it. People yeah
0: it, it, it. It's hugely popular <laughs> here, in, at least in the wine industry, about you know the PR and how it's marketed and perceptions and and whatnot and whatnot. You know, I've. It,
2: I think it was needed. Not all the chapters were equally good since they were contributed, and so we did a second edition where we sort of let some of those go aside and put in some other things including some more basic I wrote a basic treatise on public relations for wineries and then we got some people to write about social media and things that we didn't know too much about and so it's there it's still there now there's some other books that cover PR in in marketing for wineries but um, I get a lot of information from wineries and an awful lot of the people who are doing it don't have any idea what they're doing Mm -hmm. and um it seems like most people now think that if you put something on facebook that will reach the whole world
0: Mm -hmm. as i nod yeah and maybe
2: twitter although twitter has it seems to become mostly a thing for political discussions. For well,
0: we're going to talk about Twitter. Actually, let's talk about it right now okay, because sure. let, you brought along your new book, right? which we're going to give away in a moment yeah. via Twitter, along with some other cool stuff that you brought. But let's first focus on this so folks will know what the book's about and maybe what you're going to win. This is uh, your book called uh, The Napa Life, uh, Insider's Guide to Napa Valley.
2: Yes, and it's the 2018 edition. Right. Totally updated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not at all like my weekly newsletter because my weekly newsletter is what's happening now, and the book is more of what you can do that goes on. So it's it's more like if you visit Napa Valley, what do you do? It's not about what hotels to stay at, although we list them. And it, it's mostly about things to do, things you may not know. It gets into some very obscure, obscure things like the best places to take photographs and, you know, obviously the best hamburgers, the best breakfast. And, yeah, yeah. And if you want – do you want to get in the wine business and how do you do it and how much does it cost? So it's, it's all over the place. And, and I
0: – Oh, go ahead.
2: And I had great fun writing, and I do update it. But it's devilishly hard to keep it updated because all the restaurants keep going out of business and new ones open. And yeah, I mean, just in the, a few weeks ago, two important restaurants in St. Linda closed in the same two-week period.
0: I'm very aware, and they're probably in your book, right? They
2: are not. This one is not quite updated to that level. Okay, but it's updated until earlier in the year.
0: Well, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you, I was reading about this book and how it. How does it utilize modern technology? One of the selling points, I was reading a blurb about you can use this book in conjunction with your device.
2: Yeah, we know everybody who goes traveling these days has a phone. Right. And they can find out times and places and how to get there and make reservations and uh, even decide where to stay. Uh, so this is really more of a book for reading, not reference. Okay. And uh, it's divided into what I hope are some reasonable uh chapters that describe this. Like, you know, one is on the arts, one's on entertainment. Uh, there are others on obviously on wine and food and stuff like that. Uh, but it was unlike almost any other travel guide or directory I know of. it It's not full of you know, the addresses and the phone numbers and when the restaurants are open and stuff like that.
0: So you, you you depend on your device for that. And there's a Kindle version, I noticed, too, so you can use your device to actually download the book if you want. You can, although yeah. in
2: retrospect, it is better probably reading it because it's not a reference in the same sense. But, you, yeah, you can get the Kindle version. It's it's quite a bit cheaper.
0: Okay, so we're going to give this book, and we'll have you sign it. And uh, okay. what, what else are you going to – you? this looks great, by the way. You just – Put on the counter here. This looks kind of like a little Mardi Gras uh, grab bag.
2: Yeah, I mentioned I lived in New Orleans when, when I was a kid. And so every um, Mardi Gras day, I have a party. And over the years, I've accumulated some things. Here I have a, tea, a uh, mask with some Bird feathers on it. Probably illegal bird feathers. I don't know.
0: And I don't know. Those are probably just painted pigeon feathers. And here, no, and knowing it's, you, it's a nicer mask than that.
2: And here's a TR off in case... Oh. Uh, I don't know how that Lauren, on, what on do you think?
0: Would that go with your Hawaiian shirt? No. <laughs> Lauren. Lauren. Say something, Lauren. Sadly, that would not look well on me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You're, then, he was nodding his head vigorously or shaking his head vigorously. I like, think vocalized that thought. Yes.
2: And, and here's the mask... From New Orleans, it says "Made in China," forty-nine cents, <laughs> and of the beads.
0: Ooh, those are good and ones. Big fat beads. Those are and, those are big fat gold beads.
2: And you don't have to do anything for them except. To your Twittering.
1: Would that be California gold beads? Ooh, where's I mean, where's we're for the Gold here in California, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Huelhauser, California gold. I love those gold. programs.
0: I love those programs. Oh, he They're was great. Still going on? He he was he was <laughs> such a character and a personality, and so enthusiastic about it. every single person he met and every place he visited. That, uh, Miss Mister Huelhauser. But okay, back to this. If you would like this Mardi Gras gift bag, which comes with a couple hats, glitter hats, yeah. glitter top hats, the masks. The Big Fat Gold Beads, the tiara, and the book, The Napa Life, Insider's Guide to Napa Valley by Paul Franson, updated for 2018. You can have all of this. Yes, it can all be yours. By, do you want to explain? By just going on Twitter and using the hashtag JNVS, at Judd's Hill. Yes, and add at Judd's Hill, the first one to do this. Uh, we'll have it. I will take this grab bag back to the tasting room at Judd's Hill at the south end of Silverado Trail. And I will hold on to it until this Friday. If uh, you haven't come to claim it by then, I'm keeping it. I like <laughs> this kind of stuff. I'll throw a Mardi Gras party. Why not? I'd like to read this book. Your girls would like it. They, 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 they would. Well, the, yeah, not they, the book. They, maybe, they would. But... They might like that, too. They're, they're good readers. Let us Let us talk... You know, I'm I'm curious. I'm kind of into the. Um, I don't know if I am. It appeals to me. And since you lived on a boat, I don't want to take you back to that bad place we just were. But just in general, it seems like the boating lifestyle for somebody. We're getting totally off all the other topics right now. But I was just the um, winning bidder of sailing lessons at oh. a school auction, and I've never done this. Anytime I see sailboats, I I get this sense of. Uh, Adventure overtakes me, and romance, and almost a little envy, you know, I want to be out there. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know if I'm going to get seasick. You know, I'm trying not to think about the negatives. But what advice would you have for somebody like me who wants to embrace the romance of the boating lifestyle, but has never done it before?
2: Well, the first thing is, I don't know what type of boat you're going to learn on. I don't either. (laughs) It's best to learn in a very small boat. I mean, not like eight feet but 15 feet or so because they're much more responsive and you can see what's happening mm-hmm. the bigger the boat is the less impact you see from what you're doing but um, one nice thing about sailboats is you don't usually get seasick in them because the sail X is sort of a buffer and oh. keeps them from jumping around a lot so it's a much more gentle motion so people who get seasick in, in power boats you know rolling and all that oh yeah uh, might not get seasick in sailboats
0: okay you're giving me confidence. I'm going to go out now. I'll have my Dramamine on the side.
2: It'll put you to sleep probably. That's okay, it I'll, I'll take it the night before. Maybe <laughs> you have, the residual gin, effects. Ginger is supposed to work. Ginger ale. Do you, gin- you have her number?
0: I'll bring her along. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Good point. All right, we have to ask you a question that we haven't asked uh, yet. We haven't even broached this subject, and I hope this is going to be okay with you. I don't know if anybody else has ever asked you this, and I don't recall uh, reading you writing about this. So if you don't mind... Paul Franson, do you, do you go nuts for donuts? <laughs> because you saw this box out there. You thought this was like a week old that someone had brought in. But no, this is a fresh delivery today Oh, really? from our friends at the good old Buttercream Bakery. Wow. I'm going to put them in front of you. Him. just got... Wow! Yeah, they just got in Bon Appetit magazine a little uh, write-up. So, if you wouldn't mind choosing one of those out of a whole assortment, we've got the sugar nub, I'm the apple a spice, very
2: basic looking one.
0: Yeah, the very basic looking apple spice. It's delicious. Is that what this is? Yeah. If one you of these
2: looks d- disgusting, but no, that's w- which, one, which one? Which one? Oh, the... that's just a big lump of fritter dough, I guess. Is... That's the nub. That's the not nub. what they
0: call. it. I call it the nub. It's actually it good. It actually it's looks dense. very good. Okay, it is. It's a beignet on steroids, is what that <laughs> is. Okay. This apple spice, you are a renowned uh, lifestyle writer. Just give me two sentences on that donut, if you don't mind. I get to eat some of it. Yeah, you can eat it while you ruminate and masticate.
2: It's very good. It's It has a cake texture. I expect it to be, a, you know, that light, yeast, the yeast, raised, yeast, raised type. Yeah. So, no, it's very tasty. It's got a lot of cinnamon on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was apple when I picked it, but it's uh it's delicious okay i I didn't have any much breakfast so this is good
0: okay well we're we're here to make you feel good um hospitality is my middle name and now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on judd's napa valley show
1: this is
0: mad Libs. that's right paul franson you are a writer you should be very good with this word game this mad libs style fill in the blank game are you ready to play i am ready okay The first thing I'm going to need from you is a plural noun. More than one thing.
2: More than one thing.
0: Yeah. Pigs. Pigs. You got it. Ooh, this could be fun. We've talked about travel, but you can pick anywhere uh, that happens to be a geographic location.
2: Well, it's not easy to get to, but Pitcairn Island.
0: Ooh, Pitcairn. That's where the mutineers landed, right? That's right. From Mutiny on the Bounty?
2: Right, and they have a strong connection to to Napa. They have a big connection to the Uh, Pacific Union College. Oh, they—they d- they have uh, missionaries who go down there. Oh, and support oh, oh, them. oh,
0: oh, oh! I see. And that's uh, where is that? Is that kind of west of Easter Island or somewhere in the South Pacific?
2: Yes, it's um, it's actually east of Easter. Island, east of Easter, Island. I think. Okay. But anyway, it's it's very far away from everywhere, which is why they went there. The mutineers did, and then they burned the ship, so none of them could leave.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, another story for another time, but fascinating. Okay, so we've got pigs, Pitcairn Island, uh, an adjective. Well,
2: considering what we were talking about earlier, bodacious.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> bodacious, a a noun, a thing.
2: Well, if you travel to Mexico City, you'll find an axolotl. An
0: axolotl. I happen to know what that is, actually. I don't know if I know how to spell it, but that is a salamander-like creature, I believe, that lives in the lake system, the last remnants of what Mexico City used to be in this area called Xochimilco.
2: And here I was trying to snow you.
0: Nah, you can't snow me. Stump the jud. It doesn't happen. Well, don't say anything, Lauren. Okay, a number. This could be any possible number.
2: One that has some associations. 1958.
0: 1958. Do we get into that or do I just let that one go?
2: Well, actually, it's the day, the year I graduated from high school. Okay,
0: there we go. So one, th- the year is the the number is one thousand nine hundred fifty eight. Right. Okay. Another geographic location. An you can, island. You, up. Can, you can eat that. You can eat that. Donut I'm afraid oil.
2: if I start eating, and I won't be able to talk. That's okay. It's
0: better radio. It shows you're <laughs> active and enjoying life. Okay.
2: I was thinking a place I'd like to go: Mauritius. Ooh.
0: Okay. Now speaking of that donut, I would like to say, can I have some Mauritius delicious? Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, thanks. I almost got a laugh, but it was oh, oh, it was uh, a stifled by donut. Okay, an adjective, fluffy, fluffy, and finally another number.
2: Let's see. Um, okay, uh, one thousand. Oh, I'm sorry. One million six hundred and twenty-seven thousand.
0: Okay, one million six hundred and how many thousand? Twenty-seven. Six hundred and twenty-seven thousand. Okay, Paul Franson. Earlier today, I went to www.napalife.com, and there's a little blurb that kind of explains what it's all about. You have just rewritten that blurb via this Mad Libs game right now. Are you ready to hear the results?
2: I'm not sure I am.
0: Yes, you are. You've had your donut, and uh, you're going to love it. Don't worry. Okay, now I'm quoting. Here's the first sentence. Learn what's new in Napa Valley in Napa Valley life. Okay, so far so good. That Mm -hmm. sets the tone right there. Now, here we go. Napa Life is the pig's guide to Pitcairn Island. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> this is only a taste of the whole newsletter because there's a little sample underneath this, by the way. Okay. The Bodacious Newsletter. It is, definitely. <laughs> it is. is definitely—it is—is published by Axolotl Paul Franson.
2: Oh, Axolotl Paul Franson. <laughs> that it. might be a good name for a publishing there guy, you Axolotl. go.
0: The Little Salamander. Here you go. Napa Life runs 12 to 1,958 pages each week. Wow! You said it's getting bigger. It's getting big, including a list of almost everything happening in Mauritius. Oh, that's
2: I'll have to do that within
0: the next week. Okay, it is emailed each Monday, and a fluffy version is also available. (laughs) (laughs) It costs only one dollar per week, or one million six hundred and twenty-five or twenty-seven thousand dollars per year. That is what you get at Napa Life. Dot com.
2: I'm late waiting for those checks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they're coming after this show. Don't worry, you'll be in the money. Paul Franson of Napa Life. It has been great to have you here, get to know you a little better. I mean, I've known you a long time, but we've never sat down to really get to find out who you are. This is mm-hmm. this, there. Okay, enjoy that donut and, uh, <laughs> and and keep up the good work. It's always great to look through and see what's happening around town.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me on the program. I love talking about myself.
0: <laughs> well, we've enjoyed it as well. Thanks a lot.
1: This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Mar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.